when we turn away from our sin, it's repenting like Tom was calling us to earlier, when we turn away from our sin and put our trust in Jesus, and when we trust him to forgive us and to change us and to satisfy us with himself, God gives us the Holy Spirit. He gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit when we trust Christ, and and the Holy Spirit assures us that we're forgiven by God. The Holy Spirit fills us with God's love. The Holy Spirit makes the presence of God the Father and Jesus the Son real to us in our hearts. Beautiful what the Holy Spirit does. But when we read like the book of Acts, for example, and the rest of the New Testament, we see that in the early church, that's not all that God did by the Holy Spirit, but that the Holy Spirit also gave supernatural spiritual gifts like prophecy, healing, dreams, visions, tongues, interpretation. We see that in the, in the New Testament. So the question is, is God still giving those supernatural spiritual gifts today? And that's what we're talking about last Friday and today. And the reason is because there are godly people who love the Lord Jesus and study the Bible, and they've come to the conclusion that God is no longer giving those gifts. That He gave those gifts in the early church, but that he's not giving those gifts any longer. We love our brothers and sisters in Christ who have come to that conclusion. But that's not the conclusion that the leaders of Grace Church have come to. As a result of our study of God's word, we believe that God is still giving those supernatural gifts of the Holy Spirit. They need to be under the authority of God's word, and they need to be practiced in line with God's word. But our conviction is that God is still giving those supernatural spiritual gifts, that that's what's taught in God's Word. So what I'd like to start off with this morning is to show you two passages that teach that God is still giving those gifts. And the first one is Acts chapter 2, verses 17 through 18, which we looked at last week. I want to briefly revisit it again, and then we'll move on to another passage. So Acts chapter 2, verses 17 through 18. Peter wants to explain what has just happened on the day of Pentecost in this passage, and so he quotes a prophecy given by Joel 600 years before, 600 BC. Here's the prophecy that was given by Joel, which Peter quotes to explain what's happened at Pentecost. Verse 17, and in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Now the prophet Joel said this is going to happen in the last days. That's what Peter quotes here. And What that means is, or we have to know, when are the last days? And we saw last week that the last days is the time period that starts with the first coming of Jesus and goes all the way through to the second coming of Jesus, which means that we are now in the last days. That's what this prophecy says. And so during the last days, God here in this prophecy is saying he'll do two things. One, he will pour out his spirit on all flesh, which means he will bring his saving power upon people from every ethnic group and save them through faith in Jesus Christ. That's one thing. And then second, 
God says that he will give supernatural spiritual gifts like prophecy, dreams, and visions. Now, I mentioned the reason Peter quotes this prophecy is to explain what happened on the day of Pentecost. When 120 believers were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were all prophesying the mighty works of God and being given the ability to do that prophecy in languages they'd never learned. And so Peter explains what had happened. But this prophecy doesn't explain just what happened on the day of Pentecost. It describes what God does throughout the last days between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And the reason I say that is because God does not just save people and pour out his spirit on the day of Pentecost. He saves people and pours out his spirit throughout the book of Acts, and he's done that throughout church history, which means it stands to reason that God continues to pour out gifts like dreams and visions and prophecy through the book of Acts, which we read that he does, and throughout church history. So it's in the last days that God is doing these things. Peter takes that prophecy, explains what happened at Pentecost, but it also could explain what happened in Acts chapter 8 with the Samaritan believers, in Acts chapter 10 with the Gentile believers, in Acts chapter 19 with John the Baptist's followers, and on through church history. So Acts 2, 17 and 18 shows that in the last days, which is what we're living in right now, God is pouring out his spirit, saving people from every ethnic group, and he's giving supernatural spiritual gifts. Now, second passage is 1 Corinthians 13, verses 8 through 12. And this passage is so helpful because here, Paul tells us there will be a time when God will stop giving prophecy and tongues and interpretation. So when is that time? Look at 1 Corinthians 13, 8 through 12. Paul says, verse 8, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. They will stop at some point. As for tongues, they will cease at some point. As for knowledge, speaking of supernatural gifts of knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. That's when. When the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like I know you lost me. There we go. I reasoned as a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in the mirror dimly. But then, when the perfect comes, face to face. Now I know in part then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So when will supernatural spiritual gifts stop? When the perfect comes. So when is that? Some godly people who love the Lord Jesus and study the Bible carefully believe that the perfect coming refers to the completion of the New Testament which took place when the last apostle died. At that point, no more scriptures being added, and that's absolutely true. But they think that's when God stopped giving supernatural gifts. But I believe that the perfect is not the completion of scripture, but is the second coming of Christ. It's the second coming. And the main reason is because notice in verse 12, Paul says that when the perfect comes, 
it's like we're seeing face to face. And, and that is a phrase that's used often in the Old Testament to describe what's called a theophany, which is a fancy word for seeing God. Seeing God. And when is it that we are going to see God face to face? At the second coming, in the face of Christ. We will see face to face. Now, we love that we have the completed scriptures, the Bible. I hope you love your Bible. You cannot cherish your Bible too much. This is God's very words. But you don't see God face to face in the Bible. You learn perfect truth about God, beautiful, life-changing, glorious truth about God, but you don't see God face to face in the Bible. And we honor the Bible here at Grace Church. I said last week that the way you can hear God's voice the most clearly and powerfully will always be in the words of Scripture. Doesn't get any more clear than that. Doesn't get any more powerful than that. The Bible is our authority. Spiritual gifts need to be under the authority of the Bible, need to be followed according to the Bible. But the Bible doesn't bring us face to face with God. We will be face to face with God in the person of Jesus at the second coming when Jesus returns. And so 1 Corinthians 13 is saying the same thing that Peter said in quoting Joel's prophecy in Acts chapter 2, verses 17 and 18. And that is during this period of the last days between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ, this is the time when God is pouring out supernatural spiritual gifts. And that's why I believe that we are called here at Grace Church to obey 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 1. I think this command is as relevant for us today as it was for the church of Corinth in the first century. 1 Corinthians 14.1, here's what Paul writes. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So let this just sink in. Paul commands us to pursue love. Are you pursuing love? Lord, help me to love people. Help me to love my family, my wife, my husband, my children, my friends. Help me to love brothers and sisters in Christ. Help me to love lost people. We're called to pursue love. That's a command. We're called to pursue love. And we're commanded to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Are you doing that? Are you earnestly? Now, earnestly means earnestly. Okay, passionately, fiercely, I mean, that's a bad word, passionately, you know, enthusiastically, with all you've got. So earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. And then we are commanded especially to earnestly desire prophecy. That command in 1 Corinthians 14, or those three commands, are just as relevant for us today and should be obeyed by us just as submissively today as they were obeyed by the church at Corinth. And the reason we want to pursue these gifts is because God will use them to strengthen our faith, encourage our faith. You will bring great encouragement to others as you share words of prophecy, and others will bring great encouragement to you as they share words of prophecy with you. Now let me share what has been for me the most powerful time when I've received a word of prophecy that was encouraging. Some of you maybe have heard this, some of you have not. So incredibly encouraging to me. Here's the setting. Jan and I were uh, living in California, in the U.S., Southern California, and through a series of dreams and just powerful encounters with God, we believe God was calling us to plant a church 
six hours north uh, in San Jose, California. And again, God had given us powerful leading and dreams and, and lots of supernatural directions in, in, in moving, to move us to San Jose, six hours north. Um, but one night, we had a couple over for dinner. And this couple love the Lord, godly, dear friends of ours, but they don't, they don't believe that God is still giving supernatural dreams and this sort of thing. But I went ahead and shared with them our story anyway. And I shared about the dreams God had given to us and how he'd been calling us and that we believe God was calling us to move six hours north uh, to, to San Jose to plant a church. And, and they tried to be as encouraging as they could given their convictions. And the best that they could come up with was, you know, Steve, even if this is just all in your own head, God's going to totally take care of you. Now, I know they meant well in encouraging us, but when they left, I just was thinking, oh, this, is, this would be really bad if it was all just in my own head. Because, I mean, here, here we are in a wonderful church in Southern California, loved the people, loved what God was doing there. I had my wife, I had a, a three-year-old daughter and a one-year-old son, and we're going to move six hours north. We know one couple up there. They're in another church already. No churches up there calling us. Um, I'm going to work in real estate, which is what God had, had called us to do. And I've never worked in real estate. It's a bad time for the real estate market. I mean, what if I'm just like crazy? What if this is just all from me? What if none of this is from God at all? You know those thoughts? Okay, so I went to sleep the night saying, God, you have to show me. If I'm wrong, please, 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 please correct me. I don't want to be an idiot here. If this is all from me, tell me that. If this is from you, tell me that. I need to know. I want to totally submit to you. Show me. Tell me. Lead me. Well, the next morning, I, I was teaching a, a class, a Bible class at a nearby church, and it started teaching, and then there was a break halfway through. So we took a break, and during the break, a man walked up to me, and I knew him, but we'd never talked much before. He didn't know anything about our plans, and he said, I, I need to talk to you in private. I said, okay. We went outside, and he said, as we were driving over here this morning, my wife and I were praying and God interrupted our prayers and, 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 and gave us something that he, we think he wants us to tell you. So I want to share this with you. Tell me if this makes any sense to you or not. But it was very simple. God said, tell Steve, it's all been from me. Does that mean anything to you? <laughs> Through my tears, I said, you have no idea. I'd gone to sleep saying, God, is this from you or is this from me? And that God would give this couple about five, six words, tell Steve, it's all been from me. That's all he gave them. That's all I needed. And it was so deeply encouraging. Now, I want to I tell you that story so that you will understand ways that God can bring great encouragement to others through simple prophecy that he might give you or ways God will bring encouragement to you through simple prophecy he might give to others. Do you see how important this would be? This is why, one of the reasons why we're pursuing this. The main reason we're pursuing this is, is what? Because the Bible tells us to. This is the main reason. But the Bible says that as we do this, we will be edifying others, building up others, encouraging each other, and that's how we experienced that. All right, now here's what I want to do for the rest of our time. I want to look at some events in Paul's life in Acts chapter 20 and 21, because these events are going to teach us four crucial truths about how the Holy Spirit works. 
I think this is going to take us deeper in understanding what the scriptures teach about how the Holy Spirit works. So turn to Acts chapter 20 and 21. Now here's some background. Paul the Apostle, amazing story, most of you know, he, he started off Jewish, he was a Pharisee, he was fiercely against Jesus Christ, he was responsible for arresting and throwing in prison believers for overseeing the execution of some believers. And then on the road to Damascus, remember the story, Jesus Christ appeared to him in a blaze of glory. And Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul said, who are you, Lord? And he knew this is Jesus, resurrected, coming to him, totally changed Paul's life. And he became a passionate lover of Jesus Christ, full of joy in the Lord, and committed to preaching the gospel where it hadn't been preached, and planting churches where they hadn't been planted. So in this passage, Paul's on his way back to Jerusalem from his third church planting expedition. And we see four truths in this section. I'm not going to read each verse. Read chapters 20 and 21 on your own when you can. But there's four truths here, and the the first truth is that the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, can constrain us to do certain things. Pick up the story in chapter 20, verse 17, Acts 20, 17. Now from Miletus, he, Paul, sent to Ephesus, just a few kilometers away, and called the elders of the church to come to him. So he called all the elders from Ephesus to come. Verse 18, and when they came to him, he said to them, and I'm going to skip down now to verse 22. Here's what he says in this part. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem constrained by the Holy Spirit. Constrained by the Spirit. That word constrained can mean compelled. And what it means is that the Holy Spirit had impressed upon Paul with such clarity that he was supposed to go to Jerusalem so that Paul knew beyond a shadow of a doubt it's the Holy Spirit's will, it's God's will that I go to Jerusalem. Paul was 100% certain. And so what I want to encourage you to see here is that you will have times as as you're seeking the Lord in prayer, I want to know your will, what are you calling me to do? You will have times in your life where the Holy Spirit gives you such clarity and such faith and such confidence in what he's telling you to do that you are compelled, you are constrained, you know what God is calling you to do. That's one of the beautiful gifts that the Holy Spirit can give. And so I want to encourage you, Grace Church, pray for this. Seek God's face. Show me your will. Not every decision we make is this certain. That's all right. God leads in many different ways, but there will be times, and they're precious, where the Holy Spirit is compelling you to do something is constraining you to do something. So pray about that. And that's what Paul experienced here. He knew he was called to go to Jerusalem. Second truth. First truth is that the Spirit can constrain us to do things. Second truth is that the Spirit can tell us things we would not ordinarily know. Now start with verse 22 again. Paul's talking to the elders from the church at Ephesus. He says, and now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. So this means that in every city that Paul traveled in, 
the Holy Spirit either directly spoke to Paul, imprisonments and afflictions are going to await you in Jerusalem, Paul. So either the Holy Spirit directly spoke to Paul or the Holy Spirit brought a word of prophecy through the believers. Paul, we think God, God's telling you that prison is going to await you in Jerusalem. Affliction is going to await you in Jerusalem. So in every city, this is what was going on. First city, Paul, imprisonment and afflictions await you. Second city, Paul, prison, afflictions await you. Third city, Paul, afflictions, prison awaits you. You see what's going on here? In every city, this is what the Holy Spirit was testifying to Paul. Now, what I want to point out to you is that that is not something anyone could have known by natural means. This was supernatural knowledge that God gave Paul through the brothers and sisters as they had words of prophecy for him. And this raises an important question about Scripture, which I want to raise because some of you maybe have wrestled with this question. A crucial doctrine taught in the Bible about the Bible is that the Bible is sufficient. The doctrine is called the sufficiency of Scripture. And what that doctrine is, it's best said, I'll let the Bible speak for itself. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. Jot this reference down, study it. Very important scripture for us here at Grace Church. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Paul writes, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So the scriptures are breathed out by God. What that means is that they are the very words of God. Like if you were to talk right now, you would feel your breath hitting your hand, right? Just like I can feel mine. The scriptures, the very words of God. Words of men, yes, but given to the men, the words of God, perfectly true words of God. But not only this, this verse says that in the scriptures, God has given to us everything we need to be complete and to be equipped for every good work. So everything we need to be complete and equipped is in your Bible. Don't you love your Bible? Love your Bible. Everything you need is right here. But now some people think that if the Bible gives us everything we need, then we don't need spiritual gifts anymore because now we have the Bible. Some of you have probably been taught that, and I I respect that, but I would appeal to you to consider another possibility. Consider the fact that the Bible which we have now, which gives us everything we need to be equipped for every good work, that this Bible tells us to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Are you getting that? I'm not sure you got that. Let me say that again. This Bible, which gives us everything we need to be complete, it is what tells us to pursue spiritual gifts. We're not getting that from somewhere else. We're getting that from the book. The book which will give us everything we need to be complete and to do every good work tells us to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. So there's no competition between the Bible and spiritual gifts because the Bible tells us to pursue spiritual gifts. Pursue them under the authority of the Bible. Every spiritual gift should be tested by the Bible. No spiritual gift is going to be adding doctrines to the Bible or commands to the Bible. The Bible's complete in terms of everything we need to know doctrinally, how we're supposed to live. It's all right here. 
but the Bible tells us to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. So there's no competition between the Bible and spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts are under the Bible. The Bible tells us to pursue them. So we love the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture here at Grace Church. The Bible gives us everything we need to be complete and to do every good work. And one of those things is the command to earnestly desire spiritual gifts. So let's do that. We want to be complete, right? Okay. Now, let me give you an illustration of the fact that the Holy Spirit can give us information that we couldn't have otherwise had. This might be a little bit of a shocking illustration to you. I just want to warn you. So put on your seatbelt, okay? True story. Here's what happened. Um, this isn't me. Um, this is a story from John Wimber, who was the founder of the Vineyard Movement. Uh, he's now with the Lord. But he was flying uh, in the U.S. from one city to another. And while he was flying, he looked at the man sitting, I think, in the aisle across from him. And John was shocked because at that moment, God gave John a vision of the word adultery, which was across this man's face. And John is staring at this, trying to think, what is going on here? And the man looked at him and said, what are you looking at? And right at that moment, this a woman's name was brought into John's mind with great clarity and power. And, and he asked the man quietly, um, does this name of this woman, does this name mean anything to you? Well, the man became pale uh, because he was sitting next to his wife and the name wasn't his wife's name. And he said, why don't we go talk privately? So they went up to the lounge area and they talked. And the man confessed that he was having an affair with the woman whose name John had mentioned. And John proceeded to share the gospel with this man, and he came to faith in Jesus Christ. He repented of his adultery, repented of his sin, put his trust in Jesus Christ. And then they went back, and he sat down next to his wife, and he told his wife what had happened. And obviously great tears and lots going on there, but then she heard the gospel, and she gave her life to Jesus Christ. And I just want to tell you, I mean, I love that story because it's another picture of how the Holy Spirit can give you information that you would not have otherwise known. Now, John is a humble man. He's not up on some big stage. He's not flying jets all over the country. I mean, he flies like we all do, but not, you know, know what I mean. He's, he's just a simple, he was a simple, humble pastor. Now he's with Jesus. Um, and God gave this to him. And here's a couple whose marriage was restored. And most important, they were brought to faith in Christ because of that. So I just want to stretch your thinking a little bit. Some of us don't, don't have a category for the fact that the Holy Spirit can give you information that you wouldn't otherwise have known. But, you know, if you read the Bible, it's all over the place. It's very often. Read the Christmas story. You're going to be seeing many times when God gives people information that they wouldn't have otherwise known. So that's the, that was the second truth. Yeah, that's, the third, that's the second truth I wanted you to get. That the Holy Spirit can tell us things we would not ordinarily know. And the reason he does that isn't so that we can impress people. It's not so we can, you know, become famous the reason he does that is because when we share that information, it will bring great benefit to other people, great blessing to them, great encouragement to them. It'll be used by them. Okay, now back to Acts chapter 21. Here's the third truth. We must discern what is and is not from the Holy Spirit. Very important that we discern. Start Acts 21 verse 1. And when we had parted from them, so Luke is writing this because Luke was there with Paul on this 
church planting expedition. When we had parted from them and set sail, we came by a straight course to Kaz, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patara, which is all in the Mediterranean area. And having found a ship crossing to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we had come in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we sailed to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. Verse 4, and having sought out the disciples, their entire, we stayed there for seven days. And through the Spirit, they were telling Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. Well, that's puzzling. So here these disciples entire are telling Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. Now, we, we saw earlier that Paul was compelled, constrained by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit had been repeatedly telling him, go to Jerusalem, prison, afflictions are going to await you, but you go to Jerusalem. The Spirit had been telling Paul to go to Jerusalem. But here we read that these believers by the Spirit were telling Paul not to go to Jerusalem. Now, the Holy Spirit does not contradict himself. So what's going on in this passage? Here's what I think is going on. I think these disciples in Tyre heard from the Holy Spirit, got a prophetic word, just like people had heard in every city, they'd heard this prophetic word that Paul is going to face prison and affliction in Jerusalem. That's what they'd heard, rightly. The Holy Spirit told them that. But they misunderstood what that meant. In their compassion, they misunderstood that to mean, therefore, tell Paul not to go. When in fact, what the Holy Spirit was saying, therefore, tell Paul to be strong. Right? You can understand how compassion, I mean, you love somebody, if they go to Jerusalem, they're going to face prison and affliction. <laughs> Don't go! The Holy Spirit's warning you! Well, that's not what was going on at all. The Holy Spirit was saying, go, be strong, be ready. This is what's coming. And so the disciples, in their love and compassion, misinterpreted what the Spirit had said. Now, because Paul had heard in every city, go to Jerusalem, prisons awaiting you, afflictions awaiting you, because he'd heard that in every city, he understood that the disciples had misunderstood the prophecy. And so he says, thank you, I'm going to Jerusalem. And he, he goes to Jerusalem. But what I want to show you from this is the importance of discerning what is from the Holy Spirit and what is not from the Holy Spirit. So important that we discern. We will have thoughts that come into our mind that are not from the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's obvious, right? Oh my goodness, if every thought that came into my mind is from the Holy Spirit, we'd all be in very big trouble, okay? And I'm not, tell me I'm not the only one, okay? Are we all in on this? Okay, thank you, a few others. So we will all have thoughts that come into our mind, even like really strong, powerful thoughts that are not from the Holy Spirit, right? And we will have other people, well-meaning, loving people, share with us things that they think maybe are from the Holy Spirit that are not from the Holy Spirit. That just happens, like we saw it happening right here. And so we need to discern what is and is not from the Holy Spirit. And I want to give you seven suggestions that I think you'll find helpful. First, pray and ask God for wisdom. Is this from you, Lord? Is what this person shared with me from you? Is, what, is this thought that's in my mind right now, is that from you? God promises to give us wisdom. James chapter 1, verse 5. 
When we ask him, he will give us wisdom generously and without reproach. So that's the first step, obvious step. Ask God to give you wisdom. Second, study God's word. Learn God's word. Any prophecy, any word that supposedly is from the Holy Spirit that contradicts God's word is not from the Holy Spirit. It's not a word of prophecy. So the Bible is like our, our filter. Okay? Anything that doesn't pass through, no, it's not, it's not from God. That's second. Study God's word. Third, think about what God has already been saying to you. That's what Paul experienced, right? He was constrained by the Holy Spirit to go to Jerusalem. Now all of a sudden these disciples say, you're not supposed to go to Jerusalem. Well, Paul had been hearing from God all the way along through, so he knew that they were not understanding things correctly. So don't let one person dissuade you from what you've been sensing clearly from the Lord in your prayer times up to that point. Fourth, so important, get counsel from others. Ask your wife, say, here's what somebody said, or here's what I'm sensing from the Lord, would you pray with me about this? Ask your husband, let's pray about this. Ask your home group leader, your home group, your whole home group to pray with you about, about this. I love a story from John Bloom, who's the president of Desiring God Ministries in the U.S. He says that he had a very clear word that he was sure was from God um, for two friends of his, a man and a woman, that they were going to get married. I mean, they weren't even dating at the time, but they were going to get married. And so wisely, he asked the elders at his church, should I share that with them? And wisely, the elders said, no. Why why don't you pray about that and ask God to do that, uh, but don't share it with them, which was such wise counsel. And so John took heed to that counsel. He prayed that God would lead them. And then he was blessed to all of a sudden... They start dating, and then he was very happy when they got married. But again, ask counsel for people. Is this from God? Pray with me about this. Should I share this with somebody? Is this just a matter for prayer? What should I do with this? The body of Christ. God will never give any one of us all that we need. We always He loves to have us working as a body together, so we're relying on each other, growing together, loving each other. So ask others for counsel. That's the fourth suggestion I would give to you. Fifth, if, if some person who's maybe well-known in Christian circles as a prophet um, speaks a word over you, I would encourage you to find out if this person is a member of a church. Are they, are they part of a church? Are they accountable to the elders at that church? Or are they just, in the U.S., we call people like lone rangers? Are you familiar with that phrase? all by themselves, with no connections, no accountability. If, if anybody shared a word with me and they had no connection to a local church and were not, under, not accountable to any local church, I would be concerned. And I would encourage you to be concerned. Because there's a big, big problem there. I mean, the ABCs, church is one of the ABCs of the Christian life, and somebody shouldn't be dealing with X, Ys, and Zs if, if they don't have the ABCs down. Being part of a church, having people that are speaking into your life is a crucial foundational issue. Sixth, understand how compassion can cloud our judgment. Again, these disciples loved Paul so much that when the Holy Spirit told them that Paul was going to face prison and affliction, they just said, okay, the Holy Spirit's saying, Paul, you're not supposed to go. Their compassion clouded their judgment. 
They'd heard rightly from the Holy Spirit about what was going to happen, but they misunderstood the point of that. And sometimes, like when we see someone who's sick, and when we start to pray for them, we can so long for their healing. And that can be such a strong sense in our heart that we can easily make the mistake and say, you know, I think God's telling you right now that you're going to be healed. When maybe it's nothing more than just our longing that they be healed. Nothing wrong with longing that they be healed. Long that they be healed. And there are times where God can give you a gift of faith and you will know that they're going to be healed. Maybe you'll share that with them. Maybe you won't. God will give you wisdom about that. But don't, don't let your love or your compassion or your feelings cause you to misunderstand what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. Does that make sense? That's what these disciples dealt with here when they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And then one last suggestion. Ask God to confirm it to you. If somebody has, has a word for you, they say, say, thank you very much for sharing this with me. I'm going to pray and ask God to confirm it to me. That person should smile and say exactly what you should do. And then you go and pray. And God will confirm it to you if it's from him. He will confirm it to you. So ask God to confirm it to you. So there's, there's seven suggestions because we need to discern what is from the Holy Spirit and what is not from the Holy Spirit. He will give us all the wisdom we need as we deal with this. Now, fourth truth. The Spirit's purpose is to glorify Jesus Christ. Start with verse 10. This is chapter 21, verse 10. While we were staying for many days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, This is how the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When we heard this, this is Luke speaking, when we heard this, we and the people there urged him not to go up to Jerusalem, just like the previous disciples had done, right? Don't go. Verse 13, then Paul answered, what are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So here Agabus receives a word of prophecy that confirms the other words of prophecy that Paul had received in previous cities, that Paul would face persecution, prison and affliction in Jerusalem. Now let me point out, Agabus is not receiving scripture here. The New Testament gift of prophecy is not scripture, it's under scripture, it's judged by scripture, but it's information that they couldn't have known otherwise. And so Agabus is giving this to Paul in order to strengthen Paul. But here's the question I want to ask. Why would the Holy Spirit, in city after city after city, bring this same prophecy to Paul, causing his friends to worry, causing his friends concern, causing his friends heartbreak, causing his friends weeping when they would say goodbye? Why would the Holy Spirit in this city bring the word, Paul is going to face prison and affliction, the believers are weeping, don't go, Paul, and, and Paul says, 
I'm ready to go to prison. I'm ready to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. Next city, same prophecy comes. People, don't go, Paul, don't. Paul says, I'm ready to go to prison and to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. Why would the Holy Spirit be doing that? Paul was already constrained and compelled by the Holy Spirit. He was going. Why all these words of prophecy? And and I think the reason why is because the passion of the Holy Spirit, we see this in in the Gospel of John, the passion of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus Christ. Because I want you to think about Paul and what it would have been like to see Paul in front of you. Here's Paul. Like I said, Paul had been a Pharisee, had been a zealous Jew, was totally against Jesus Christ had had believers arrested, had overseen the execution of some believers, and Paul was profoundly saved, and he loved Jesus Christ. He knew Jesus Christ, the Son of God, had come to earth. He loved me and gave himself up for me. He bore my sins in his body on the cross. He suffered crucifixion so that I could be forgiven by God. And Now I know God loves me. I know I'm forgiven by God. It's all because of Jesus. And so Paul's burning passion was to glorify Jesus Christ. He loved Jesus. He wanted to exalt Jesus, praise Jesus, see people come to know Jesus. This was Paul's passion in his life. And so imagine each of these places where Paul went, each of these cities. Imagine this first one. Some prophets speak. Paul is going to face prison and affliction. Paul, that's what you're going to face if you go. And imagine watching Paul. You're a believer there, and you're thinking, I hope Paul doesn't go. Paul, don't go. And Paul looks you right in the eye, and he says, I'm willing to go to prison, and I'm willing to die for the name of the Lord Jesus. Now think of how that would have impacted you had you heard that. That would have gripped you with the reality of this man's love for Jesus Christ. That would have been a display of the the worth of Jesus Christ. Think of how that would have strengthened you, how that would have emboldened you with whatever fear of persecution or suffering you might have. And so in city after city after city, the Holy Spirit is giving believer after believer after believer a display in Paul of the worth of Jesus Christ, the glory of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ is so real, so loving, so glorious, so powerful, that to glorify his name would be totally worth prison and even death. And to hear that spoken by the man who was on his way to prison and ultimately to death in city after city after city, that would have profoundly glorified Christ in the lives of these people. Do you feel that? That's what's going on here. That's what I think is happening. And see, that's why, another reason why, I want us to be pursuing spiritual gifts because the purpose of the Holy Spirit in giving the gifts is to glorify Jesus Christ. And he will glorify Jesus Christ. Just like he did in that plane where the man repented of adultery and then he was saved and his wife was saved. Just like God led us to to move six hours north to, to plant our little church in San Jose. And just like in every city, believers see Paul saying, I'm willing to go to prison and I'm willing to die for my Lord Jesus Christ. You know him. You can trust him. He's worth it all. Let's live with all our might for him. It would have strengthened the churches, emboldened the churches, motivated the churches. And we need this here in Abu Dhabi. We want to see Jesus Christ glorified here in Abu Dhabi. And so my appeal to you, Grace Church, is that if Jesus will be more glorified by us pursuing spiritual gifts. Let's pursue spiritual gifts. Biblically, under the authority of the scriptures, just like the scriptures tell us to, 
but this will bring more glory to Jesus Christ. We need more power. We need more effectiveness. Spiritual gifts aren't everything, but they are something. And God will use them to bring more glory to Jesus Christ. So what do we do? We're all in different places. I mean, first of all, some of you, you're here and you, you're still learning about who Jesus is. You're still learning about his death on the cross to pay for your sins. You're still learning about the fact that you've sinned against God and face his judgment and trying to put all this together. You're still learning. You haven't yet come to the place where you've put your trust in Jesus. So what should you do? Put your trust in Jesus. That's what you should do. Keep learning, but trust him. Trust him. He loves you. He's real. He came to earth. That's what we're celebrating Christmas. Fully God became a man humbled himself to that point, then humbled himself to death on the cross to pay for the sins of all who would trust him. If you're not yet trusting Jesus Christ, we're, we're glad you're here. Keep learning and put your trust in him. We pray it's this morning. Now, you could leave here forgiven with the gift of the Holy Spirit filling your heart, joy and peace and knowing God. So that's what you should do if you're, if you're not yet trusting Jesus. Okay, now what if you are trusting Jesus? And you're not convinced yet that spiritual gifts are still being given today. What should you do? I would just encourage you to, to study the scriptures. Um, I, 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 would, I would love it if you changed your mind, but don't change your mind because of anything I've said. Change your mind because you've opened up the scriptures and studied them afresh and looked at these passages again. This is what's important, the book. This is what's important at Grace Church. We're under the book. So if you're not persuaded yet that spiritual gifts are still being given, study some more. Pray. Just work in that process. Now, what if you are persuaded that spiritual gifts are still being given? What should you do? This doesn't mean that you have to have the gumption or the, to use the word gumption in your, anyway, the, the boldness to come up here on a Friday morning and share a word with somebody like, like Ray and Tom did earlier. Take baby steps and start in your home group. Pray before your home group and say, God, give me something for my home group. Give me a word of prophecy for my home group. And then as God gives you something, at your home group meeting say, friends, I, I think maybe God gave me a word of prophecy to share with you and I'd like to get your feedback. Here's what I think God was saying. Share it with them. And then let them give you feedback. Very normal, very matter of fact, okay? And let them give you feedback about that. And that'll help you to grow, help you to move ahead. But home group, very loving, right? They will all be totally for you. It's not scary at all like Friday morning. So take baby steps and start by sharing a spiritual gift in your home group. And it'll bless them. Their feedback will bless you. Your confidence will grow. Your understanding will grow. And then you'll, and then maybe God will give you a word of prophecy while we're sitting here worshiping on a Friday morning and you'll be, your knees will be shaking and you'll come up here and you'll share it and, and, and you'll think, I hope that was from God and then somebody will walk up to you afterwards and say, thank you. That's exactly what I needed to hear and oh, you'll be blessed and Jesus will be glorified. Do you see how this works? This is why we're pursuing spiritual gifts because it's taught in the scripture, because it loves the people around us. It's one way we pursue love because it glorifies Jesus Christ. We long to see people saved here in this city. We long to see believers strengthened here in this city. We want to see people from every nationality saved here 
in the city. We want to see the church built and churches planted throughout Abu Dhabi, throughout the UAE, and throughout the Gulf region. And let's pursue the gifts of the Spirit that God has given to us for the sake of love, for the sake of building up each other, for the sake of saving the lost, and for the sake of glorifying Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Let's stand. I want to pray. We are all at different places, Lord, when it comes to this topic of spiritual gifts. And I pray that you would touch those, first of all, here who aren't yet trusting you. And I pray, Lord, that this morning, right now, you would turn their hearts toward Christ. You'd show them the glory of Jesus. You'd change their hearts, that they would repent and trust Jesus and be forgiven and saved. Do that now, I pray. Father, please. Lord, any here who are not yet persuaded that you're still giving spiritual gifts, thank you that we can love each other, we can agree to disagree. But Lord, I do pray that they would study afresh the scriptures on this topic and that, and that, that you would help them, Lord, to study and that they would, would pursue the scriptures above everything else. That's what's most important. So help them to do that. And Lord, for those here who do believe you're still giving gifts, I pray that you would help us to pursue love, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that we may prophesy, and that we would press in, ask you for gifts, pray for gifts, and share them as you give them, as we've talked about this morning and that Jesus Christ would be glorified as a result. In Jesus' name, amen.